in the backwoods of America. We have climbed the highest mountains, searched the densest forest, dragged the swamps, and scoured the prairies to find our leader, retired U.S. Marine gunny, Bud Cornwell. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. Welcome back, Patriots. This is the Gunny, and you're on the Patriot Cause. I got a wonderful, wonderful guest again on my show. I'm going to call him Dr. T, Dr. Tom. He <laughs> is in Italy, and he's a wonderful man, very intelligent, and I just love how he describes things. It's so difficult to find people that can not only understand what's happening, but have the ability to speak to where you have a solid understanding of, of the issue that's going on. So thank you very much, Dr. T, for, for being on the show today. Oh, thank you, Gunny. It's a, it's a pleasure to be back. I, I just love hearing your accent, man. <laughs> I love that. I love that accent. Awesome. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, we all we all can't talk the same way. I'll put you yeah. that way. <laughs> it'd be a boring, it'd be a boring life, I'm assuming. So, well, I don't well, know. I don't know if you can hear my South Philly accent, but uh <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. We, I can definitely tell you're not, you know, from Alabama <laughs> <laughs> or from Alabama for, for that matter, too. So, but yo, know, yeah, the Philly's definitely coming out of you. <laughs> no doubt yeah, about right. that. So but what I wanted to talk about today is convincing the states had a simulation um, well, actually two weeks ago, August 3rd and 4th. And it was an amazing historic event. I mean, it is a historic event in this country. And if we do finally make it to the final convention of states with, with all 50 states, uh, this simulation is going to be, you know, read about, written about for for generations to come. So I hope hopefully so. That's, hopefully I that's hope where so. we're headed. George, so Mason Mason would be, George Mason would be proud. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> he absolutely. would be proud. So I'm going to give you a little bit of background on, you can call it statistics or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. um, there was 49 of the 50 states were represented. Now, here's the coincidence. There's only one state that didn't show up, New Jersey. Yeah, that doesn't Who else? <laughs> what about seven? What happened in 1787? Yeah. Guess yeah. who didn't show up? Yeah. New Jersey. New Jersey. <laughs> I'm just like, ain't that a coincidence? Uh, you know, you, know you, had but... to, you had to understand that there was a lot of friction between Ben Franklin and his son, Thomas. You know, they had. Oh, yeah, Thomas, absolutely. You know, I mean, he was a, he was a pro-loyalist. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, Burlington County is <laughs> well, whatever. New Jersey. Uh, they had uh, they had legislators, both representatives and senators. Right. Most of the states had at least two or three what, the, what they're called as commissioners yes. they're sent by the state to you know, be a commissioner for, you know, the, the convention. And the state has the ability to yank them out of there if they're, you know, screwing up, basically. 
Um, but they're not all legislators. Some of them were doctors and lawyers and, you know, different professions and stuff. So right. concerned uh, citizens, basically. Just exactly. Right. Patriots. And we also had, believe it or not, we had three legislative Democrats there. What that was very important for COS because they had to they had to go back and forth, right? They had to debate these articles that they were uh, going to propose, right? And so you had those Democrats going back and forth with the, and they were in line. So it wasn't like a political thing. When because you're a Democrat or whatever, they talked mm-hmm. about the issues, they corrected the issues, they worked together. So that the so that the amendment could be written and proposed with a good, uh, pretty much a solid agreement across the board. Right, it worked right. out pretty good. So well, simply because a person is a Democrat doesn't make them a Marxist. I no, mean, you know, there absolutely. are Democrats that love our country. Absolutely, uh, they're liberals, but they're not leftists. And there's a big difference between the two. Uh, you know, but you know, unfortunately, the the narrative that's being pushed by the media are the leftist radical Democrats, you know, but there are Democrats that are liberal and they love our country just as much as uh, conservatives do. It's just that they're being used as a facade for, you know, leftist ideologues. And, uh, you know, it's difficult to tell them apart because they vote the same for different reasons, but they vote the same. Well, the other, the other part about it is there's, there's the other side of the coin. And I think it's pretty important that we we understand that. I mean, anybody that's a conservative has no issue understanding why a liberal type mindset doesn't want to have anything to do with this. Because what is the sole purpose of what we're doing? To, to get a hold of the federal government. Right. To bring the power back to the people. And the, these leftists, they think the government is the power. They're the best ones to do everything for us. Oh, there's no question. There's no question. And I think that the most important thing that the Convention of States should be looking at is the framework of the government. Yes. Now, if I may explain, and this may take a little bit of time, but I may explain. Okay, go ahead. Um, Our founding fathers were informed by an Onondaga chief named Kanasatego, who Mm. was part of the... uh, uh, he was part of the uh, Iroquois Confederacy of the Six Nations. He was the one who instructed us on what a federal government should look like. And the Europeans took that experience and inserted it into their understanding of the historical governmental structures of ancient Greece and Rome. So what we had was a direct democracy in the in the House of Representatives. We had an aristocracy at the level of the Senate. And mm. we had a, ben, a benevolent monarchy at the level of the executive. Okay? Now, they knew very well that a monarchy could become a tyranny, that an aristocracy could become an oligarchy, and that a democracy could become mob rule. All right? Or... What they called said in Greek, Ochlakratia uh, or Demokratia Paranomos. Okay. So they had these, these people separated and voted upon in that structure. 
there was direct vote democracy at the Senate and the uh, in the House of Representatives. There was a selection by the assemblies of the states in the Senate. And then there was an electoral college for the executive. All two, these made up two branches of the government. You had the legislative and the executive, but there was a third branch, the judicial. Mm. And the separation of judicial uh, powers from the executive and the legislative goes all the way back to Aristotle in his mixed uh, constitutional governments with his, um, uh, his book, Politics. Now, it's, it's, it's interesting to note that the progressive era wants to turn the United States into a direct vote democracy. Mm. That's the way they're going to they're going to shred us to pieces. Because if you'll notice, every single authoritarian state begins yep. by having a direct vote democracy. Absolutely. But unfortunately, there's only one political party. Yep. Now, we did not, uh, our founding fathers were not really, they didn't really have it clear in their minds about the separation of the judiciary uh, from, the, from the executive or the legislative. They knew it had to be there. But uh, often, quite often, up until 1820, the uh, individual states would over, override a judicial review at the federal level and just say, well, we're not going to ab abide by that. You know, it was only at the insistence of officers within the executive branch that the judicial be completely separated and independent and have no part, par, uh, how can I say this, partisan uh, political views in order to remain independent. Mm -hmm. And this was and this was amalgamated in 1820. So we're talking almost 30 years after the. Uh, uh, after the, you know, well, 30 years after the uh, writing of the Constitution, and then from 1891, the, the, the Bill of Rights, okay? So what we notice is that we now have a direct vote democracy for the, uh, for the House of Representatives. We now, with the 17th Amendment, have a direct vote democracy for the Senate. Yep. It shouldn't be. And that means yep. that our individual states have lost their sovereignty at the federal level, right? And they're now pushing for a direct vote democracy for the executive branch. Right. That has to be opposed. The Convention of States must firstly return to the original framework and structure of our federal government. Yep. It's got to abolish the 17th Amendment and return the control of the senators back to the assemblies of the states. Their, uh, their, um, uh, their sovereignty and independence from the federal government has to be assured in order to break up the centralization of the federal government, which is where this is pushing it. Because once the federal government becomes centralized, it's done. We no longer have a republic. So I talked, too, I talked too much, but this is the... This no, is the that's aim. important. It's important, yeah. This is the underlying aim that these people, these progressive Marxists are trying to attempt. That's one tactic of the strategy. The other tactic is to create a Soviet system 
in the United States through our bureaucracies, mm -hmm. through the agencies that have regulatory authority. That regulatory, regulatory authority has to be taken away from these agencies. The legislation of, uh, of laws in the United States has a process. These agencies have taken that process away and they've become faceless. The government has to come back in and limit these people's power. It's really that simple. We have yep. no control over them. Those are the primary things. Everything else can be handled. But these are the primary things that we must get back in line in order to correct the, the, the course of the ship of state. Now, I've said too much, but basically That's I have okay. to get off my chest. No, I'm this is good. That. I mean, there's I've been a studying this for a long yep. time. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, as a matter of fact, I'm writing an article on it right now because this all came to a head with Donald Trump. Yes. You could see what's happening with Donald Trump. They call it weaponization. It's no different from what they did with the people's courts in Nazi Germany, the, the show trials in Russia with the purges. Yep. They were assumed guilty before they even went up. It was just merely to, to punish anybody that was against them. Okay. Uh, and that's what they're doing. That's what they're turning it into. Trump got in their way. The remember back in uh, what was it, 2008, when Barack Obama goes up and we're five days away from fundamentally transforming the United States? That's exactly what he was talking about: transforming it into a Euro, a European-style Soviet system. And make no mistake, the European Union is a Soviet system. Oh, sure it is. That's so. uh, what I'm finding out as I do more research associated with socialism is socialism really isn't a, some people say, well, it's a stepping to become communist. You kind of do this socialist stuff. And then I kind of disagree with that. When you start thinking and your country is start acting, you know, this socialism, whatever, you're, you're communist. Communists is the ones that want this socialism world. So you yeah. have to, I think it, you, the way I look at it is I don't think there's a socialist person. There may be a few that have a socialist kind of idea and be conservative, basically, you know, take care of the poor. I mean, there's all different whatever. But most well, of these people that are, that are socialists like Bernie Sanders and all these people, these are communists. These are outright communists. Bernie Sanders is an unapologetic communist. He's not. Oh, absolutely. Uh, he's a communist. But, you know, it's interesting because there is a difference in, in mentality, uh, Gunny. Mm -hmm. People like you and I want to work and be left alone. We right. want to keep what we earn. We want a government that's not intrusive into our personal private lives. We want to raise a family. Now, the basis of communism, the basis of Marxian thought is feudalism. But it's a feudalism that instead of being run by an aristocratic class is run by a bunch of buffoons. All right. And it is based in theft, coercion. And violence. Make no mistake about it. It yep. is a philosophy based upon trying to justify intellectually theft. That's all. It's redistribution of your wealth to someone else who doesn't deserve it. Absolutely.
That's and the thing about it is, is majority of what they're trying to do is not going to actually affect them personally. Well, they don't believe it will. But when when they finally get into power, and it's this has been demonstrated. Right. In the, That's where I was fixing to go. <laughs> the, the, the people that are aiding these people getting into power are the first ones that they eliminate. The Absolutely. SA, Ernst Röhm yeah. in, in, uh, in Germany, Hitler had yeah. him killed the, the night of the long knives. Absolutely. The completely. The, the uh, Stalin did the same thing with his purges, you know, with Beria. I had to eliminate all these people. And it was at the detriment, their detriment, because at the beginning of the Second World War, all of their um, their uh, you know officer uh, level staff in their army were purged. They had nobody to lead their armies. You see, so, so think about it. Yeah, they, you got to think about it this way. Obviously, you know what a viper is, right? Type of snake. Okay. Well, when a viper female snake has a baby. Right. That baby is not, you know, when it hatches and all that stuff inside the mother and then it eats its way out. So it basically kills the mother and then eventually becomes, you know, gets out and out into the world. This is the same philosophy that I put this on. Right. These people are are basically the mother and they're growing and growing and growing this communism into this country. And then it's going to get big enough and it's going to start eating them. Yeah. You know, you know, Gunny, I have to say that the reason that there has not been an overthrow, a direct hard line coup d'etat in the United States is people like you. It is the fact that we have 180 million Americans that are armed, that have 400 million weapons in the population. That's correct. No one could no one could try to no. overthrow that. Matter of fact, I, I don't know if I read it in a book or somebody told me. I think I read it in a book or maybe an article. And this was years ago. It's probably 20, 25 years ago. That the reason that China didn't want to attack the United States is because the statement they use is they have more weapons than blades of grass on their land. Right. Right. Yeah. And, was, and it, I believe that. I believe that is the reason. So China that didn't, you know, said, look, we don't need to have this confrontation like this. What we'll do is right. we'll go in the back door. The Japanese and, said the and, same thing. Exactly. The Japanese said the same thing. You will find a gun behind every blade of grass. Absolutely. And um, this is what we're dealing with. What we're dealing with is uh, and they've known this for years. The 17th Amendment, for instance, like you're talking about, I think it was 1913, wasn't it, or something yes. around there? Yes. They first and, had to pass the um, uh, the 16th Amendment, which would which basically gave them the power to tax. That's correct. Uh, you know, and then and then the they passed also the amendment that permitted the creation of the Federal Reserve System. That's correct. Which got us into debt like you wouldn't believe. Oh yeah. Uh, and the 17th Amendment was the first progressive aim to weaken the power of the states. Now, you got to remember, people look at Abraham Lincoln like he's some kind of a saint. You know, right. I have mixed views on Abraham Lincoln. I think he was a great man, right. but he was a Hamiltonian mm-hmm. and he believed in a strong central federal government. OK, right. he did. You are right. The. They always poo-poo the Southern's view that, hey, wait a minute, we're fighting a second revolution. 
we're fighting the the ability to keep and control our state sovereignty. This was promised to us when we signed the declaration, the, uh, the, the Constitution. We have a perfect right to secede according to the Constitution. That's the, uh, you know, the, uh, Jefferson and um, who was it? Uh, I can't re- I can't recall, but the uh, the powers to. Um, oh, is it what was it? The. Um, it was the act the Virginia Act of, of 1789 or 98. I can't I can't remember. But the uh, the ability to uh, to supersede a federal law at the state level. Yes. To annul. Yes. The annulment. No. You know, no. Yes. No. I, yep. I, I couldn't get it out of my head. I'm thinking <laughs> Italian, you know, it's a, exactly. <laughs> but anyway, this goes all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to the beginning. We know that people cannot be trusted. That's right. why we set up a government with checks and balances. That's why we set up a government that had a separation of powers into three co-equal branches. And, I, you know, they're gradually trying to take to erode this away because it's the only way they can do it. They've got to turn us into a direct vote democracy. Absolutely. Well, it's kind of a coincidence that this stuff this stuff started happening around 1913, so forth, right? Right. The reason I say it's a coincidence is because obviously I wasn't nowhere wouldn't even thought of back then, nor were you, right? No. So in other words, yeah. So the point I'm making is the only reason we know this stuff is because of history. We taught it. And the other part about it is you have to research, you have to open your eyes and go out there and find knowledge about what's going on. Or you can just sit at home, which is a lot of people do, and just ignore it until it knocks the the house down. Right. Then it's too late. But here's the thing that gets me. In Germany, in the early 1900s, this communist school was stood up. The Frankfurt School, right. Frankfurt School, right. Well, that's kind of a coincidence. A few years after that school was stood up, it comes to America. Communism really starts infiltrating in America. Well, I, then, I have know, through that it, education process, right? It, here's what happened with the Frankfurt School. Right. Um, basically, it had an effect in England. People like uh, Cecil Rhodes and, and George Bernard Shaw, they yes. created Rhodes Scholarship. They were called Fabian socialists, mm-hmm. and because uh, the elitists in your in in England came over to the United States, our education system was based on the German uh, Prussian system of education. That's correct, uh, and it came through um, Great Britain, and we had Fabian socialism that actually infected the United States. And you know, I mean, even Abraham Lincoln knew about Karl Marx. I mean, you know, his stuff came out in 1842 with, um, you know, the uh, um, the Das Kapital, which was written in in Brussels, if I'm not mistaken. And then uh, the Communist Manifesto in, uh, I believe it was 1865 in uh, in England. He wrote that. So, you know, he had a lot of followers in in the Anglophone countries. But you're right. Fabian socialism. So anybody that sits there and says, Oh, he's a Rhodes Scholar and Loudson. All that means is he went to Cambridge and studied how to be a socialist. 
That's right. It's really that simple. And then he comes back and they and they applaud him. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was an infiltration. It was a an infection of European thought into the American ideal that we created to get away from European thought. <laughs> I mean, feudalism is the only is the is the outcome of this. Feudalism. But if you go if you go through history, and we talk, talk about let's say it's the the real injection of this ideology came into America during that time frame, early 1900s. Right. 1950s come along, and there's this one guy that decides uh, there's a lot of communists in our country, and we need to fix this. Right. You know who I'm talking about, right? Yeah. McCarthy. Right. So they had the hearings and all that. Of course, all of them were denying everything. Some of them, I agree, were probably not communists or socialists. They just kind of got blackballed into the into it. But a lot of them were communists. So that's the first instance. The second one is when Reagan came along. Now, here's what I don't understand. And again, I was I mean, I was in the Marine Corps when Ronald Reagan was president. Right. Matter of fact, he was my first president when I was in the Corps. Your commander and, in chief, right? Yeah. What what I don't understand is this. Even as a young 20-year-old in my 20s, listening to this man, I was waking up. I was starting to understand. I didn't know. I was, you know, a country boy from Louisiana. I had no clue what communism was. You know, all I did was go fishing and hunting the whole time and chase girls. That's it, right? <laughs> but yeah. here's one of the greatest presidents, if not the greatest president that was ever elected, explaining to these patriots in this country exactly what's going on and nothing nothing was done about it. virtually nothing he got blocked and i'm just going are you kidding me there that was that was the major opportunity for the united states to fix itself that we yes. should be doing this kind of stuff like the convention of states or whatever during that time frame that's when we should be doing this should have been doing this but you know, we we actually, you know, uh, when we talk about progressivism, progressive Marxism, it actually was, believe it or not, introduced by Teddy Roosevelt. It was a Republican president at the time. Yeah. Wilson was the one. Woodrow Wilson was the one who really started yes. to in he was the president of Princeton. That tells you everything, you know, you need to know all of these Ivy League schools became indoctrinated with leftist thought. They all started out as as practically as seminaries they were all created by christian sects you know presbyterianism uh, 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 puritanism they, they were all founded as you know the nine schools that were there before the revolution including my own uh, rutgers queen's college it was a dutch calvinist school all right and they were all infiltrated the elitists you know it's uh, it, it's it's interesting how these people who are failures in life Call themselves elitists. They couldn't hold a job if they need if they had to in the in the private sector. <laughs> yeah, you know? they, they're they're all a bunch of talkers. They're not doers. They never got their hands dirty. Right, right. And they're the ones that are the class of technocrats over here in Europe. They've never done anything in there. They've never done anything of consequence in their entire lives. And they want to tell you how to exactly live. Exactly how to live. And they skim a little off the top, you know. It's that's just about that's just what it's all about. Have but, you have you read 
or, or been on the website, uh, the World Economic Forum, and read about the 2030. Oh, yeah, sure. Of course, of course now it's going to be 2020, 35, because you, know, you know, there's no way they're going to make that by 2030, but Look, you know what I mean. This is, this is nothing more than a redistribution of funds. You know, Klaus yep. Schwab, you know, the head of this thing, is he's just another Marxist. He's an elitist Marxist. It's all he right. is. Uh, you know, you could tell right off the bat, they only see two different types of economics. One is Marxian, which makes no sense whatsoever. It's a complete, <laughs> it's a it's a complete uh, system of buffoonery. My father described it as an an an, a, a, an economic system designed by a parasite for other parasites. All right, and then you have Keynesian economics, deficit spending. The, the the monetary system is controlled by you know by the government whether it be uh, what's in circulation and credit you know that kind of thing and it never works it never works uh, all it does is create uh, you know inflation and uh, and the destruction of economies and poverty that's all it that's all it creates well but see it doesn't affect these people so they don't no. care. They don't care. The only thing they care about is that they get to be part. Uh, it, it's kind of like, I guess the best terminology that we can relate this to is the Joneses, right? Being with the Joneses. They like yeah. being with the people that are like them. And they love power to an extent to where they use that as a pride tool. Look what I did. Right. Look what I'm doing. Look at the organizations that I've created and so forth. If you look at the World Economic Forum, and again, go back to Germany, go back to that school, the Frankfurt School. Why is it every time we talk, start talking about communism, there's Germans involved in this? It's just it's a coincidence. Look, Karl Marx, right? Angles. It's just, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it's not Russia. It's not China talking about communism. It's, you know, it's just these Germans that brought all this in. Hey, do you know about the USA? Do you know about the government? Can you tell me about the Constitution? Hey, learn about the USA. In 1787, I'm told our founding fathers did agree to write a list of principles for keeping people free. The USA was just starting out a whole brand new country, and so our people spelled it out the things that we should be. They put those principles down on paper and called it the Constitution. And it's been helping us run our country ever since then. The first part of the Constitution is called the Preamble and tells what those founding fathers set out to do. We the people, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility. For the common defense, promote the general welfare and secure the blessings of liberty to 
ourselves and our posterity do ordain and establish this constitution for the United States of America. In 1787, I'm told, our founding fathers all sat down and wrote a list of principles that's known the world like this. We the people, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Well, you know, you have to understand that for for um, almost a thousand years, mm-hmm. uh, you know, from from uh, Charlemagne all the way up until about the, the all the way up until the fall of um, of Constantinople, you know, which is mm-hmm. when the Roman when that Roman Empire actually collapsed. It was in the 1400s. The Western Roman Empire collapsed in in 476, but the Eastern Holy Roman Empire collapsed when uh, you know when the Ottoman Turks took over um, took over uh, Constantinople. Then we entered into uh, you know basically into the Renaissance period, right? And the Renaissance period reintroduced Greco-Roman thought <clears throat> into a feudal world through St. Thomas Aquinas in the, in the 12th century. So it was a bunch of Roman Catholic theologians that reintroduced uh, antiquity, you know, the, antiqu- the, uh, the, the ancient Greco-Roman thought back into European society, which was at that point a feudal society. And the Germans suffered under feudalism more than anybody else. Mm-hmm. So you could easily understand why these philosophical points of view would be born in in the center of Europe, because right. they were you know, they were part of the Frankish Empire at the time, and then they were under. You see, when you think about these things, this, these were answers basically to imperialism. And it's you know communism started out as an answer to imperialism. You know, they say, well, these imperials, we don't like our stuff being taken from us. And, you know, before the Industrial Revolution, uh, you know, a country could uh, could only survive or increase its um, its wealth if it stole from its neighbor. Right. It stole what the neighbor had. If it increased um, uh, taxes on its people without giving anything back. Or if it uh, devalued its currency. 
see, this is before the Industrial Revolution. So there were only really three ways that they could do it. Increase the productivity of the land, steal taxes from its people and not give them anything back, uh, or invade their neighbor and take their resources. Gotcha. Right? So yep. basically, these were the things that communism or Marxian thought, basically, he, he was trying to use this to push his ideas forward. But his ideas were nothing more than a, re, a reiteration of, uh, of feudalism, of, uh, you know, <laughs> of uh, dark age feudalism. Feudalism, that's all it was. You notice he never mentions anything about the wealthy, though. No, he never he mentions the aristocratic class or the or the kings or whatever. It's always the working man, the proletariat, against the bourgeoisie. Now, what he never never realizes is that, or never states, is where the middle class came from. They didn't come from the aristocracy; they came from the working class. Now, proletariat in French, it's interesting what the term means. Prole. In Greek, I'm sorry, in Latin, means offspring, children. His idea was that the only thing that these people could uh, contribute to uh, society were their children and their labor, that they mm. were born into that and could never get out, never escape it. But the middle class was born in that in that class. <laughs> you know, it, it was a, a completely stupid. In other words, there was no upward mobility. In the United States, this was this idea never worked because we had no classes. This was a European concept. It wasn't a, an American concept. There were no classes here. No, there weren't. So in any case, our entire government was based on that, maintaining the freedom. And the Convention of the States has to re go back and read the original Constitution as it was written up until, let's say, um, <clears throat> Uh, 1791 with the you know the first 10 amendments and it's got to reverse re, you know revert to that original meaning no, absolutely. Get, it's, it's the only way we're going to get back our control right so what i like about convincing the states per se is we have three areas that's the best way to explain it that can be brought up during this convention and the reason behind that is you can't eliminate the Second Amendment, for instance. Oh, in no. these areas. Right. So well, just tell well, you, this is why this is why the structure is set up the way it is. The the thing is that the Second Amendment is not part of the Constitution. It is a guarantee not to be touched by the Constitution. Exactly. All right. Well, the point so I'm making is the, the argument of not having the argument of not having this convention by mm -hmm. most of these progressive people is the fact that they'll be able to pass whatever. No, that's not they'll true. At it, 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 I know, but it's very it's hard to convince some of these people. But there is a purpose. There's a reason behind that. So, for instance, like you're talking about the 17th Amendment, repeal the 17th Amendment, right? Okay, so ask yourself this question. Here's how simple this is. Does the process or would repealing the 17th Amendment fall into one of the, uh, one of these different types of categories per se is really what we're we're looking at in my so view the 17th, in my view the 17th Amendment is a violation of the spirit of the Constitution 
It is a violation right. of the framework of the government that the founding fathers intended for us. It shouldn't be there at all. It should never have even been considered. That, that there's a great difference between the 17th, which is the whim of a, of a legislation, and the, and the, the Bill of Rights. The Bill of right. Rights, it, there's no question that that should not be touched at all. Right. So there's three areas I want to tell you. This is what I really want to talk about is the first one is federal term limits and judicial jurisdiction. Right. So that's the first one. The second one is fiscal restraints. And then the third one is federal legislative and executive jurisdiction is the third piece of, of what these the third areas. Right. So repealing of the 17th Amendment falls in the in there because they're dealing with legislation legislators and so forth right so i agree with you that sh that should be something that can't that could have or should have come out of this convention you know because you got to remember these legislators right. are the ones that are right it's them. absolutely necessary that we return sovereignty right but so you get the point here's the point right. i'm making is our organization created this movement. So when we went to this simulation, and, and some people are eventually going to get this, especially if they watch the simulation itself, you have to look at us as like providing the facility to do this. And that's it. That's all we did. We set everything up. Mm -hmm. And then once the legislators or the commissioners and everybody came in, they took over. They held their committees. They had committee leaders, et cetera. Now, we, we provided sec, uh, people to write stuff down, you know, like a secretary. But that's it. Right. Just to, the minutes, you know, the minutes, the right. minutes and stuff like that. But that's it. Everything. They voted on their own president and et cetera, et cetera. And right. so, that, so here's the point. Yeah, let me finish the thought. So here's the point is these are the three areas. So we basically throw in these legislators in conference rooms everywhere and going, OK, here you go. Here's the three areas. And then they discuss what they want to do. So right. why the 17th Amendment didn't come out, I, I don't know. I was expecting to see it. But again, I don't know. So, yeah, it's absolutely fundamental. The other thing would be to would be a preventive act. You'd have to prevent any violation of the of the the way that we elect a president uh, and the vice president we right. have to make sure that there is a law or a uh, an amendment that says that the the um, the election of the executive branch through a uh, an electoral college is inviolable right yeah. it's got to be because there was a reason for it and that reason was to maintain an equal application at the at the, the state levels to make sure that New York and California weren't the only two that were electing the president. Mm -hmm. Right? You wanted to give South Dakota a chance to have their say. You wanted to have uh, you know uh, uh, Kentucky. You know you wanted to have uh, uh, Idaho. You wanted to have these states have their say in who became the president of the United States. Eliminating the electoral college means that all right direct popular vote you know okay you get the uh you know the, the two coasts are the ones who are going to elect the guy all the time mm -hmm. yeah that's oh, got to be 
That's got to be that's got to be reinforced. And it's easy to go through it. You know, as I said, you have to have a mission. Each of these individual aims, you'd have one mission to maintain and secure and safeguard the structure of the United States, the framework of the government, maintaining the three co-equal branches, maintaining their independence, maintaining uh, and reinforcing uh, the checks and balances that were that were intended, okay? You've got to review the uh, every single act of legislation that became a law, every single agency that is in violation of the spirit of the Constitution. Right. The spirit of the Constitution. And it's, it's, it's exactly explained in the preamble. The preamble of the Constitution tells you everything you want to need. The mission statement of the United States is the Declaration of Independence. It tells you what we're trying to create. It tells you the role of a government in a free society. Anything outside of that, you know, uh, is not the role, is not the purview of the government. It's the purview of society. Right. All right. Well, the other thing is, um, no, the other thing is, is that I, that I, it didn't shock me. I, I was just, I didn't expect it to see this particular one that they were talking about. And then I read it. I'm like, okay, then it makes sense. Because in the Constitution, nowhere in the Constitution does it give a number of Supreme Court justice. No. It just says, you know, that we'll have a judicial system, right? It's decided upon by the executive, actually. Right. So this says the Supreme Court of the United States shall consist of nine judges, any six of whom shall constitute a quorum. That should have been in from day one. They should have determined that. Because if my personal opinion, if we lose this next election, I don't care who on the Democrat side is going to be president. It's it's irrelevant who that person is. If we lose this election, they will stack that court. Oh, yeah. They'll pack it. And and we will never, ever have justice in this country again. It will turn complete chaos. Yeah, that is that is a good idea. That is a good idea. Limiting the number of uh, of uh, Supreme Court justices. Absolutely. And it should be an odd number. So that there is a, you know, absolutely. Nine is good. Yeah, we've had it for what, 150 years. It's a tradition. You know, keep it. Now, here's the, the I'm thinking in my mind. Wouldn't this be like the very last thing anybody would want to attack? Because this is actual justice. You know what I'm talking about? This is people that determine other millions, if not billions of people's lives on on justice, moral justice. If you have no morals, then you don't care about justice. And that's what a lot of these people are like. They just don't have any morals. They're evil people. Well, the thing is that they're partisan. You know, I mean... The people that we that we send there that we call conservative, they're called right. conservative because they're constructionists. Okay, and we explained constructionism in the last podcast that we were engaged in. Constructionism is looking at the Constitution and interpreting it using the words and the nomenclature of seventeen of the late seventeen hundreds. Okay, and the you know it, it's 
understanding what those words meant to the founders who wrote them. Those documents were written with a specific intent. They were strictly delineated. There was no broad interpretation. You don't get a bunch of lawyers together to write up a document <laughs> that's going to be broadly interpreted. They won't do exactly. that. Exactly. Like no. they're doing with the Commerce Clause and, and the all these other clauses. They broadly interpret something that was that was intended for a strictly limited interpretation. They said right. what they meant and they wrote what they meant and they meant what they wrote, period. That is the role of the Supreme Court. Right. They're not here to judge what's going on at, uh, let's say, uh, uh, the courts. They are there only to see if the laws that are coming down, that are presented to them from the legislature and from the executive, they've got to be That's presented. Right. They, can't, they can't enter it, are in line with the spirit of the Constitution. They don't consider natural law. They don't consider uh, common law. They don't consider maritime law. They don't consider any of that. They're only concerned with whether this law is in line with the spirit of the Constitution as it was written and subsequently amended, period. When they start getting into Roe v. Wade and all this other stuff, look at the damage they do. Yep. So their role should be very limited to questions of constitutionality. Absolutely. Period. End of story. Absolutely. Yeah, the the constitutional wise, the Supreme Court had absolutely no authority to do this abortion thing at all. No, no. Not they had no authority whatsoever. It, it that's was why a, it, that's why the one now pushed it away. Exactly. People say, well, they lost. No, theoretically, they didn't lose what happened. They didn't lose was, anything. It went it back, back where it was state. supposed to go. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, that's where, if you don't want, if you don't want to live in a state that, that doesn't allow you to have an abortion, then move. That's what exactly whole, that's what a republic is. Vote with your feet. Exactly. That's called a false construction. It's so right. it, it, abortion never appears in the Constitution. And they're making a claim that it's it is a positive right uh, guaranteed by the Constitution. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. This, where, where does it appear? You want to live in a state where they have that? Go move to friggin' California. Well, the other thing, too. The other I noticed that getting... these people were out in the street rioting and burning shit. And all, I'm sorry, yeah. burning stuff yeah. and everything. Like, and it changed nothing at the state level. Exactly. An abortion a week if they wanted to. Absolutely. As long as I don't pay for it. You know, <laughs> I don't want to pay for it. Yeah, you got you to throw that in there, too. Huh? <laughs> Absolutely. It's Absolutely. Just, yeah. You now, vote for it. Let's let's just you know the abortion thing. We we can talk all yeah, day on that. We can get off on a yeah. tangent there. Yeah, this one this one is this one is important because I think this is part of you know this whole ide ideology of who is responsible for what, etc. And this is one that these people have been shoving down our throat for years, and that's healthcare in general, right? They they have a huge amount of the population in America actually believing that healthcare is a responsibility of the government. No. According to the constitution, you should, no. you should, you should listen to what these people say. Show and I'm going to tell me, 
yeah, here it is. Here it is. I hand that to him, right? I said, here, yeah. show hey, me be, in here and they'll take out all kind of stuff and, and basically, basically try to fit it in, into here. And I'm going, hey, be, be, Gunny, I got to tell you something. Be careful if you're driving in Jersey with that thing. They'll, they'll call you a subversive and arrest you. <laughs> <laughs> no, healthcare, healthcare is yeah. not, healthcare is not a right. No, it's it not. is not a right. There is no right being born to the species Homo sapiens to healthcare. All right. right now, is it is it okay? Should we all be able to get healthcare? I totally agree with that. Absolutely, I'm not with that. Absolutely, you may not yeah. be denied healthcare should That's you. That's correct. Want, but it is a positive right, according to the uh, according to the government, people in government. Right. But healthcare is a privilege. Someone has to pay for it. You know, it, it is not a, a right. It is not a negative right. No one may deny it to you, should you want it. No one may deny you an education, should you want it. But it is not a right. It is not a natural right. All right? That's a fact. Now, so the thing is that uh, if you wish, if the people in, in a certain state wish to have health care paid for, by the state, vote on it. That's what, yeah. uh, that's what I, vote on it. Let them take 30% of your, uh, you know, add 30% of taxes to your pocket and pay for people that are 70, 80 years old that never took care of themselves. Exactly. Vote on it. But, you know, but don't sit there and take money from people in New Jersey to pay for people's health care in California. That makes no sense whatsoever. Anything that takes money from people against their will and redistributes it to other people, other groups, is theft on its face. That's what all you have to do. All you have to do is go back to the commerce clause in the Constitution. And you just solved all these problems. Right. Right. Because it says among the states. The right. federal government has no, um, well, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like to use the word jurisdiction. You know, they can, they monitor, they're supposed to monitor commerce and that's it. Yes. Right? But the, the determination between Alabama and Mississippi, as far as transfer of goods and services are done by those two states. Right. Right. So think, so think about this. If you're in the military and you're stationed in wherever, and abortion is illegal or whatever in that state, the military will ship you free to a state to go get an abortion. Not free. That's against the commerce tar charge law. Exactly. Because that's not the federal free. government transferring, you know, not, for... Not free, Gunny. Someone well, has to pay for it. I know okay. I know where you go. What I'm saying is that person doesn't have to pay for it. Right. So. No out of money, no yeah. out of pocket expenses. No, I get you. But now, the, this, the, that's the point I'm making is the commerce clause is very powerful. If this country would abide by it like it's supposed to, the the federal government, when there's a lot of things it would have never been able to do. Well, healthcare, they would say, comes under the welfare clause. That's you know, too. a broad interpretation of the welfare clause when that was not what the founders had in mind. Mm -mm. The promotion of the general welfare does not mean 
paying for the general welfare. It no. means that the federal government gets out of the way of the general welfare. That's yep. all it means. It means it doesn't create laws stifling something that society would benefit from by people in society, you know, having a, a positive externality of their activities. You know, it it's doesn't, crazy. it means that the government will not go into competition with the people who are trying to uh, run their own businesses and have a free exchange, a free and open exchange with no coercion. You know, the government does this all the time. They misinterpret or they broadly interpret something that was intended to be strictly interpreted. All right. And, got about we've got about five minutes. So you have the last time. Is there anything you, you want to finish with or close out with and specifically dealing with the Constitution or their part of? <laughs> well, as the, the only thing that I could suggest right now is that we have to set up a structure. We have to make sure that the convention of the, the Article 5 Convention of the States, that each one of these divisions has a mission statement that their mission is aligned all three of the missions that you're talking about three different different divisions all of those uh divisions all of those uh, mission statements have to align up with the mission of the united states of america as found in the original documents okay you can't take something that was written let's say in 1913 and say and claim that it has the same weight that an amendment in 1791 had right because there were modifications they changed the definition of words they changed the definition you can't take the meanings that we have today of words and apply them to the 18th century they don't they don't work that's why i wrote the book unalienable all right that came about in 1910 in our dictionaries. Gotcha. So you have to use dictionaries that are either the Oxford or the Cambridge dictionaries because they are <clears throat> they are historical dictionaries. They will give you the time frame of the word, okay? Uh, that and the meaning of that word in that time frame. Okay? They're, they're historical dictionaries. We have to use that. We have to use Black's Law Dictionary. We have to refer to uh, the meaning of interpretations of law by William Blackstone, the great um, English jurist, because Blackstone, John Locke, Montesquieu, uh, you know, these were the people who were contributing to the ideas that our founding fathers had. You know, uh, we have to re we have to remember that we're not talking from a 21st century perch. We right. have to we have to address this. With the 21st century in mind, but with a, a, a viewpoint of the 18th century. Okay. Gotcha. That was the difference that we, that was the uniqueness of our government. If you turn it into a, a, a you know, a, a direct vote democracy at all levels of government, right. and then have that reinforced by bureaucrats in an unanswering, uh, you know, uh, regulatory authority. Uh, you know, agency with a regulatory authority, our country is lost. It turns into it turns into an authoritarian government. Look what Absolutely. happened to the FBI. The FBI should not exist under the Constitution. That's correct. There was nowhere in the United States Constitution that said the Department of Justice had to have an investigatory agency. 
That was an idea that came out in 1908. There were eight of them at the time, eight FBI agents, and the Congress refused to pay for them because they were anti-constitutional. If you look at the Constitution, right, inside of here, it tells you the departments or the areas the government has power for, basically. Right. The Department of Education is not in here. No, no. Right. So what you're saying, what you're saying and what I'm saying is if we really want to do it right, we would use that, go back to that. And absolutely just absolutely ways of a hand gone. Absolutely. The blueprint is in our hands. The blueprint is there. All we have to do is is sit there and say, okay. We know they argued over this. They argued they had, you know, the the anti-federalists and the federalists, and they argued over this, the the, the conventions, uh, the ratification conventions of the 13 uh, colonies, Mm -hmm. 13 newly constituted states. They did all the argumentation. We know what they intended. And these people, for the most part, were lawyers. They said what they meant and they meant what they said. Yeah, not only that, uh, I I, I hate to say this because I know... Me, Mark Meckler's a lawyer, for instance, right? I know quite a few great lawyers, you know, really good people. But there's some there's some evil, evil people that come out of these these high dollar, you know. Oh, none of them. Yale and Princeton and Columbia and you have to understand, you know, they don't know the Constitution, nor nor was they ever taught it. They were not taught it. They are taught procedural law. They're yep. taught procedure. And, and yep. it, it, they know nothing of the Constitution. Mark Levin nothing. is really Mark Levin is really good at explaining that and 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 having the the knowledge because you know he's a lawyer too. He's a great yes, lawyer. But well, Mark Levin, you know. and he's he's a Philly boy too. Gotta tell you, he's a Philly yeah, boy. Yeah, he is. <laughs> Mark Levin, Mark Levin is a constitutional scholar. Oh yeah, I like how Obama. Obama claimed to be a constitutional scholar. He didn't know how many <laughs> states we had. He had no idea how many states with fifty-two you're, you're, states. Yeah, you're like the third or fourth person that told me that that Obama is no. a constitutional. What What are you talking about? Where the hell did you hear that from? Did he say? He that? said we. He said we had fifty-seven states. Imagine, constitutional scholar. And, he sat there and an American people. Are, are we too stupid? To, to not even see how ignorant these people are and why we're in the situation we're in, that's why. Yeah, We well, have people that are just absolutely ignorant to the American way and the Constitution of the United States it's, that are in power. Yeah, well. No, no other way to say it, right? It is, it is an ignorance by design. Yeah. It's an ignorance by design. Uh, you know, when you have, look, the other thing is that yes, as, as term limits and things like that, our founding right. fathers would never have considered mm-hmm. having a person in the Senate for sixty years. Never, they I, didn't well, even want to be. But <laughs> they how did they miss that? Exactly. They, you know, well, they, because it know. never it never occurred to them. It never occurred because they didn't want to be part of the, it. Was an it was a civic duty to be part of the government at that time. Yeah. Because they were ta- being taken away from their personal private businesses. You know, they didn't want, they didn't, they, all right, yeah, okay. As a, as an American patriot, I'll do my part and take part in the government. 
Yeah. And you know, you know the, the yeah, the last part about this as as I read about this and I was just going, I was what Abraham Lincoln is is a great example, right? He's a, he's a good president, or whatever. He didn't want to be president. He was basically pushed by yeah. a, a lot of friends and family, and you know, you'd make a great president, basically pushed him into running for office. And then he gets elected. I mean, unanimously gets elected, right? And he, of course, then he gets into the swamp back then. Not yeah. nothing like it is today, but, you know, oh, yeah. the swamp, right? The lobbyists. And, right. And then he does exactly what you're talking about. And all of a sudden, he starts getting big government and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So the point I'm making is, is if you do not stand on the Constitution and you go into these this political world and you don't stand on that constitution going, I will not rock, I will not come off of it, you're going to be just like the rest of them. And that's, right. that's how simple it is. So, all right, yeah. Dr. T, I appreciate your time and effort. And, uh, I, I always will stay in contact and um, I'm ready to come back on your show anytime. Let me know. Yeah, we're yeah. I, we had people. We had Robin in in Arizona for a couple of weeks. My brother was in uh, Las Vegas, and I've got uh, Deutschlander in in uh, in my house. Did you ever <laughs> so, get the book? Did you get the book yet? The uh, Eddie, he, he was in he was in Vegas. He's supposed to send it to me. He got it. Though. Okay, he got it. Okay. But he's got to, he's got to send it to me. Did he uh, read I'll, it? I'll, uh, he's reading it right now on. Uh, that's probably why I didn't get it so quickly. <laughs> I think, yeah. Well, until he's done, once hey, he picks it up and opens up the first page, you can't stop. <laughs> Trust me, it is amazing. And of course, this is all one hundred percent life experience. There's nothing fake whatsoever about this. Yeah. Anyway. I was I was listening to a um, a Marine's account uh, on Saipantinian, well, Kwajalein, Saipantinian. Uh, Guam and Iwo Jima he was with the fourth Marine division, uh, an Italian guy from, uh, New, from Amsterdam, New York. Mm. And he's talking about the buddies that was with him on, that were with him on uh, Iwo Jima and, uh, and that fought with him in Saipan and Tinian and, uh, and, and believe it or not, one of the guys had my last name. He said, yeah. And I had a good a good friend. who's a great Marine, a great Marine. His name was Giordano. And the, you know, he saved my ass on uh, on Saipan. He, he 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 all this kind of, and he got killed in uh, on Iwo Jima. He went Same over the yeah, got that's awesome. cut in half by a machine gun. Hmm. Now my well, dad was there. My dad was a CB, but he was attached to the Second Marine Division, and he had a, his last name was Giordano too. But he was he he was with the, he didn't go off of uh, well he went from Saipan Tinian to Guam and Rota. But he he was gearing up to go into Okinawa and then into uh, Japan when the war ended. Right. He built the strip, like I said, he built the strip on Tinian where the Enola yeah, Gate. That's your intelligence. That's awesome. All right, Doctor G, I'm gonna let you go. I appreciate. Uh, I, really, I'm this every time I get on this uh, calls with you and you just you uplift me. You just give me <laughs> that that knowledge that's missing in my head and all the answer you answers a lot of questions that that uh that i have and i'm hoping our leaders or listeners the same way uh, well I, I really have a lot of respect for you because what you're saying is true it is the truth 
and you don't get to hear it that often unless you talk to the right people. So I appreciate. Well, that. I'm writing an article right now on the on the conversion uh, that I have seen uh, of the the tactics that are being used in the strategy to convert uh, our federal government, our representative constitutional federal government into a direct vote democracy that will lead us into an authoritarian state. The, the, okay. the, um, <clears throat> it's, it's there to be seen with these false accusations against Donald Trump, with his denial of his, his, his uh, constitutional guarantees, the fourth amendment, fifth amendment, uh, you know, with these insane accusations, you know, creating laws that are not laws. Right. Attacking a, a federal a federal jurisdiction type of a of a crime if it is a crime by a a local you know county DA what the hell is that <laughs> I you know a hundred different never, this things. has never happened before ever in the history of our country never you're, yeah and you're you're watching it's like watching our government dissolve yes. these people have to be stopped they to. have to be stopped. And it's they're either we're either going to do it through peaceful means or whatever. But I can t I guarantee you this: I'm not going to live in a tyranny government. Uh, and they period. don't. They don't want it to be. They on the opposite side don't want it to end by peaceful means. Oh, I know. There are a thousand inflammatory cuts that they are pushing and pushing and pushing. You know, in society, in government, in you know, they are creating divisions. Uh, they're creating race against race, sex yep. against sex, you know, class all of against this class that don't class, exist. <laughs> exactly. They don't exist. But uh, the thing is that they are denying people now. Now, now the leftists <clears throat> are pushing their agenda to the point that even liberals are beginning to understand that these yes. people are not representing their interests. Nope, not at all. All right, sir, I gotta go. I appreciate your time. Um, say hello to your Italian friends. Go eat some great spaghetti for me. <laughs> yeah, I'm about I'm about ready. God bless you. God, God bless, bless the Green Corps, and God bless the United States of America. Amen, sir. Take care. Take care. Wish the buck was still silver And it was back when the country was strong Back before Elvis, before the Vietnam War came along Before the Beatles and yesterday when a man could still work and still would It's the best of free life behind us now The good time's really over for good I wish Coke was still cola And a joint was a bad place to be It was back before Nixon 
lied to us all on TV. Before microwave ovens, when a girl could still cook and still wood. The best of the free life behind us now The good time's really over for good I'll be rolling down a hill like a snowball Headed for hell With no kind of chance for the flag or the liberty Wishing Ford and the Chevy would still last ten years like they should. It's the best of the free life behind us now. The good time's really over for good. Let's make a Ford and a ship that would still last ten years like the should. Cause the best of the free life is still yet to come. The good times ain't over for good.